Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. We had five seconds left to go in the overtime, and all of a sudden the big guy is on me. I got hit as I let it go. I fell on my back, and I saw the ball go through the basket. Place went berserk. That was a big deal. Auburn had never won an SEC championship. They made history. They had the time of their lives. To play basketball at that level and get an education. And that that was my job and I had fun doing it. It was perfect. The great Eudora Welty line, she was once asked why it is that Mississippi had produced so many great writers, and she says, because we have a lot of explaining to do. There is no case in history where the Caucasian race has survived social integration. We will not drink from the cup of genocide. There's a lot of pride in the minds of the Mississippi people. They were very proud people. But uh, the dominance was uh, on their prejudice rather than their pride so often. Racial tensions were at their height in Mississippi in 1963. James Meredith had integrated Ole Miss the previous fall, triggering riots, two deaths, hundreds of injuries, and a battered campus. Five months later in Starkville, Mississippi State's basketball team secured their fourth SEC title in five years. But like the previous MSU champs, there were no plans to go to the 1963 NCAA tournament. The state's Jim Crow laws wouldn't allow it. We not only were the best team in the SEC, we were the best team in all of the South. You win the SEC as his Mississippi State teams did in the late 50s, but they can't go to the NCAA tournament simply because it would mean integrated competition. It was a real blow. When I was little and we would go downtown to buy stuff, blacks on one side, whites on the other. They had their own places, we had their own places for years. Yeah. We have the same opportunity to work and to build that part of the town up just the same as we have. Coach Babe McCarthy and his players desperately wanted to play in the tournament. University President Dean Covard saw a chance to challenge the Old South in her ways. It was a sleeping giant of a university. And I went down there to wake it up. He'd cast an eye down to Oxford where James Meredith had already integrated. He's thinking, oh, this is going to happen on our campus at some point. Wouldn't it be nice if athletics could be a kind of stalking horse, could kind of provide the styrofoam peanuts that'll get us through. Sure enough, under Babe McCarthy, they put together another really good team. Gosh, this isn't really fair that we can't see how good we could be and go on to the NCAA. I am a strong advocate of segregation in every phase of activity. I feel it is not for the best interest of Mississippi State University or either of the races. Governor Ross Barnett was squarely against the idea of Mississippi State traveling to East Lansing, Michigan to compete against integrated teams from all over. There are injunctions filed and efforts to keep the team from going to East Lansing where they were to play Loyola of Chicago, which had four black starters. The large newspapers in Jackson were adamantly opposed to what I was doing. One of them wrote me and said, don't you realize what this is going to mean? 
this is a slippery slope. You suddenly play this one game against an integrated team. Who knows where that's going to lead? But President Kovard wanted the team to go. Only the Bulldogs would have to sneak out of town. Law enforcement was trying to find us so that they could serve the subpoenas on us. There was a group, four, five, six of us, that, that went one direction. There was another group that went another direction and came later. If one group uh, got served, then he had had another group that was ready to go. A plane came in at 8 o'clock. We sent four people over there. Nobody was there. And we took off. And when they came down there, we were gone. We have to sneak out and we fly in and we... Everybody's talking about what's going on back home instead of, okay, we got a ball game to play. Yeah, I mean, it was such a big old place. And uh, we had never seen the team. The historic implications of it all weren't lost on Joe Dan Gold as he shook hands with Loyola's Jerry Harkness. I'm just going out to shake hands to start a ball game, you know, something I've done a lot of times. And it uh, just seemed like it just totally lit up. Uh, I didn't know how many people had taken pictures of it. I didn't realize just shaking a hand would get this much excitement. And then it started to come to me that this was, this was history. This was more than a game. We started off and played really good for about the first five or six minutes, and then they they went to work. It will become part of history. March 15, 1963. Mississippi State going down to an integrated Loyola team that would go on to win the national championship. The Bulldogs' loss didn't dampen their sense of the significance of their journey. People that loved Mississippi. 1037 The Buzz. Call us anytime. Sports talk and entertainment. We would have been allowed to go in 59 and was able to go three times in the next four years. And one of those years, we would have won maybe the NCAA tournament. Mississippi State could have been an elite basketball program found a way past Jim Crow, and SEC basketball had guided Mississippi a step closer to integration. When we admitted the first Afro-American student in 65, it was a non-event. Jerry Harkness and Joe Van Gogh, they became friends, close friends later in life. In fact, I called Jerry Harkness to get his reaction to Joe Dan's death. And I actually, in doing so, delivered the news. He became so emotional that he couldn't talk. That was yet another brick in the wall that comes out and leads to this cataclysmic change here through the duration of the 60s. Southern Hoops, a history of SEC basketball, is presented by Pfizer BioNTech. It's lunchtime. Good thing Gary's company uses Otter's AI meeting assistant to take notes and generate a summary. So Gary doesn't miss a meeting and can regain his lunch break. Try now for free. Visit otter.ai or download the app. Introducing Manda, the whole body deodorant that I created with all body odorant. I'm Dr. Shannon Clickman and I'm the inventor of whole body deodorant. It's like body odor never even happens and you're going to be exceptionally stink free and smell as good as humanly possible. This pan is proven to perform. 
Over 90,000 of our pans can be found delivering on the line of over 1,900 of the world's best restaurants. In over 678 cities, Made in Cookware performs night after night, year after year. This pan has been in service for five years straight. So has this one, and this one. These pans can prove themselves in the world's toughest kitchens. They're ready for a lifetime in yours. People often ask, what makes Muggsy Jeans so premium? To which I say, why are you wrapping your nethers in stiff, uncomfortable denim? Muggsy makes their jeans from a proprietary denim that is stretchy, softer than sweatpants, and durable. Everyone warned me about credit cards, but I found the Chime Credit Builder card and was able to build my credit with no annual fees or interest. My score went up over 60 points, and I bought my first card. My next goal, a 700 credit score. Join me at Chime.com. Why pay too much for cable TV when it costs less for Fubo TV? Get all the channels you want with all the entertainment you love for the price that cable can't beat. Try free at FuboTV.com. All right, time to do some selling. That's going towards rent. Oh, yeah, that's going towards girls' night. And that's going towards a new bag. Your closet is worth more than you realize. Download the Poshmark app and start cashing in today. Thanks to Avalara, we can calculate sell stocks automatically. Avalara. What if tax rates change? Uh, Filing sales tax returns. Uh, Business license items. Uh, Cross-border uh, sales. Uh, item classification. Uh, Doesn't connect. Uh, uh, sports writer at the New York Journal American named Jimmy Breslin got a call from Adolph Rupp in Kentucky. The coach asked him a favor to kindly indicate the black high school players he wrote about with asterisks so Rupp would know where not to bother to send his recruiters. He would say that his reluctance to recruit African-American players was because of how they would be treated in the Deep South. If you come here, you know, there's no guarantee that we can protect you, you know, from the hostility you're going to encounter in the Deep South. But we want you to come, right? But we can't protect you. You know, that was a way of saying we want you to come, but we're not going to do all we can to make sure that you remain safe. You have to remember, in the early 60s, the Klan was killing people and getting away with it. The Deep South was a very dangerous place for African Americans. In 1963, civil rights activist Mega Everest had been killed in Mississippi. He believed in his country. It now remains to be seen whether his country believes in him. Four little black girls lost their lives in a Birmingham church bombing. And three civil rights workers had been murdered by the KKK in Philadelphia, Mississippi. If they're dead, I feel like they asked for it. They came here looking for trouble. On top of everything else, Rupp knew his opponents might refuse to play an integrated Kentucky squad. After all, the Wildcats were the New York Yankees of college basketball, universally hated by their rivals. They uh, mark that date on the schedule when Kentucky comes to town, and uh, they want to win that game worse than anything. 
people would curse you, throw things at you, spit on you. They'd do the whole thing, okay? Threw oranges at us, put the football team right by at the bench, and they were wild. Yeah, there was a lot of brutal places to play in that league. But then in 1963, Rupp got a mandate from newly hired university president John Oswald. Make an effort to recruit black players. There was a power struggle going on at Kentucky, too. Um, and you had a, a, an all-powerful coach who wanted to do things the way he always had done them and didn't want outsiders meddling. And you had a new president who was from Minnesota who desperately wanted things to change. One day, they asked me to come up to the president's office, and I went up there. They told me how important it was to be integrated. He says, we'll get someone. I don't care if he sits on the bench. I says, I'm not going to do that. And the only way I'm going to offer anybody a scholarship is if they can play. Moses' obstinacy. He, he was just so obstinate. He really was stubborn beyond belief. Harry Lancaster was uh, Rupp's assistant coach for more than 20 years. And Lancaster talks about how Rupp would come back from those meetings with John Oswald uh, and be cursing and said, you know, he wants me to recruit, you know, da-da-da, you know, uh, using the N-word and so forth. And, and Lancaster concluded that, you know, Rupp was never really around black people and I think he was afraid of the un unknown. Rupp very rarely went out to recruit himself. The players would come to him. In the early years, he had cattle calls where he'd have 70 players that came out to try out. Rub didn't think he had to go out and recruit. He was Adolph Rupp. Well, let me say this to you. The first and most important thing in his life was winning. And he needed to have Wes Unsell play for him. Wesley Onsel was the first colored boy that we ever contacted to come to University of Kentucky. In 1964, Wes Unsel, a Louisville high school star, was one of the nation's top recruits. Mr. Shiver and I went down there to visit there. He didn't come along. So we sat there and talked to his parents and we uh, um, presented our case as fairly as we could. I went to the house and I said, Wes, I said, uh, we'd love to have you come and be the first black player to ever play at the University of Kentucky. And he says, Larry, he says, I just don't want to do it. Unselled instead chose to stay at home at the University of Louisville. Rupp also failed to bring in another Kentucky native, Butch Beard in 1965. When he let it be known that he was thinking about going to Kentucky and he was home watching after his brother knock on the door, he goes and answers it and there's a guy on the porch he didn't know and he said, we hear you're thinking about going to Kentucky. Yeah. If you do, we're going to hang your ass. He told me that he had decided to come to the University of Kentucky and I said, fine, let's shake hands on that and before the day was over, had signed with the University of Louisville. Butch Beard would even say years later that it was very apparent that Rupp was being forced to do this. This was not a, a serious effort. He, he and Wes were the two guys that we really, really needed. We, did, we didn't have the right players. Finally, it came time for another conference up there, the president's office. We went up there and we really had it. We said, well, I'm just going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to demand that you get uh, uh, some colored boys. He says, you're keeping us and probably jeopardizing us from getting all this federal help, which amounts to some $11 million. I said, well, doctor, I said, I made an effort. You just can't go out and find someone. If you could do that, I'd go out and find a seven-foot center every afternoon. First time I saw Adolf Rupp, he seemed to be tall and ramrod straight, as legends should be. Had the earlobes that jiggled when he talked, deeply lined face, 
looked at me in the hallway and said, who are you and what do you want? It seemed like Kentucky was fading. They'd gone 15-10 and 10 in the 1964-65 season and were picked to finish no higher than third in the SEC that following year. They didn't have a starter taller than six foot five, earning them the moniker Rupp's Ruts. Everybody just kind of fit. We all fit. I mean, Dampier was six feet. Riley was six three. I mean, I was six three and a half. Here's a team with a Larry Conley who's a terrific shooter and scorer, but gave himself up to feed the ball to Pat Riley. They were so unselfish. We played hard and fast. We were very, very quick. Not much was expected of them because we're kind of mediocre the year before, but almost perfect that year. They lost only one game during the regular season and entered the 1966 NCAA tournament, the number one ranked team in the nation. A win over Duke in the semifinals would give Rupp a chance at a fifth national championship against Texas Western. While it wasn't written about at the time, it was impossible not to notice. The title game pitted five white Kentucky players against five black Texas Western players. Tommy Crons over the center line. Bobby Joe Hill takes it away from him and goes for a gimme. Texas Western checks Crons up beautifully for that one. They steal it from him as he lost to the pass. Too soft to handle, and Texas Western's got a 3 2 fast break. Rain, sleet, thunderstorms, tornadoes, mudslides, or even rabid sheep falling from the skies. Buzz Weather has you covered. But you got to give them credit for what they did, what they accomplished. 3 1 fast break on Cron. Outside, it's uh. Did I feel bad? Yeah, I felt bad. had my first beer in almost six months. All right, I'm going to have a beer. Let's have a beer. A week after the loss, a Lexington sports writer proclaimed at the team's season-ending banquet. At least we're still the number one white team in the country. Even said after that Texas Western game, you know, why does everybody keep pointing to us recruiting Negro players, you know, we'll get some, you know, when they can fulfill the academic requirements and play, you know. Uh, he saw that as minor, but now that is major. The players I interviewed, of course, over the years, both Texas Western players and Kentucky players from that game, none of them thought of it as a black-white game. That was layered onto it by, and properly so, by history. Eventually, by the 70s and certainly the 80s, um, people were already talking about that game as the Brown v. Board of Ed of college basketball. If I'm on the wrong side of history, then maybe I'm on the wrong side. I never really felt like that. We played other teams that had a lot of black players. I mean, we played Michigan, had four black players that started against us, and and I, I never, ever thought about that. And anybody comes up to me and starts talking to me about that situation, I say, yeah, it's just the way it is, I guess. And I let it go. I just let it go. Of course, people forget that if Duke had won the national semifinal that year, it would have been an all-white Duke team going up against Texas Western in the final. And the same dynamics would have been right there for everyone to see. I just may not have fallen quite as hard on Adolf Rupp. Was Rupp stubborn? Did he try hard enough? Had the times just passed him by? It's all still murky to this day. I think a lot of times Rupp was a product of his times. My beef with Rupp is I think because of who he was, he was such a dominant figure. If there was anybody who could have broken through and done it, been able to do it, I think he could have done it. Was Coach Rupp a racist? I think not. 
but you know you can't take him out of that time period put him in today's world and say oh yeah he was definitely racist i don't think that works i think we missed the golden chance to uh, have a black player on our team i think that's something that uh, you know you look back on life and you go gee whiz what if that would have happened Southern Hoops, a history of SEC basketball, is presented by Pfizer BioNTech. When you automate sales tax without be about things like changing tax rates or filing returns. Avalara. Jerry goes off-grid almost every weekend, but now, a Friday last-minute meeting? Otter has Jerry covered with an AI meeting assistant to take notes and capture action items. So Jerry can go camping and be ready for Monday. Sign up for free. Visit otter.ai or download the app. I was always skeptical of credit cards, but I also know it's the best way to build your credit. As an entrepreneur, that's essential. So I got the Chime Credit Builder card. There's no annual fee, no interest, and no credit check. My score's gone up over 100 points. Check it out at Chime.com. Will Trent. Will Trent. Will Trent, GBI, here to assist. How about you tell me the headlines? Will sees things that no one else does. He read that crime scene like it was a book. It was a kidnapping. I bet I can solve this tonight. Easy money. Are you like me now? Are you like me now? Always. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head? Comb it over? Wear a hat? Just stop. This isn't 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to everyone who scans this QR code. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let them show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Scan the QR code. Don't wait. Scan the code now and ask about the Bosley Guarantee. Innocence was shattered by the mid-60s in America. Ray Groover, that Auburn guard who hit the buzzer beater to win the SEC title in 1960, was off to Vietnam. I went in Air Force after medical school. I was a flight surgeon, so I flew in and out of Vietnam. I had to fly pickup missions, they call them flying the air evacuation with the wounded guys, picking up people that were maimed and shot up. I saw every bad thing you can think of. You're seeing 18 to 20 year old people blown to pieces. Several died on the plane. And uh, never in my dreams did I ever think I'd be doing that kind of work. And particularly when you didn't want anybody to be there anyway. Never could figure out a reason for being there. If uh, politicians had been there in that war, it'd been over in five minutes. It is increasingly clear to this report that the only rational way out will be to negotiate, not as victors, but as an honorable people. For a while I had, you know, you get 
dream of it sleeping would come be a problem, but I guess I was lucky because I didn't get the post-traumatic stress. But I can sure see why somebody would. social crisis. Moments when the forces of the past collide head-on with the forces of the future. What makes them particularly interesting is that those who are summoned to make critical decisions rarely understand on the eve of the collision that they're dealing with something epic. David Halberstam, The Children. There are names in the history of SEC basketball that are household names. You don't even have to say their full name, like Pistol Pete, Shaq, Dominique. But I don't think there's any more significant name in SEC basketball history than Perry Wallace. Perry Wallace watched Texas Western take down Kentucky in 1966. Just a few hours earlier, he played in a Tennessee State High School championship the first one to be integrated. And his Pearl High team of all black players had won. He attended segregated uh, elementary, middle, and high schools and uh, was an outstanding student. He became the valedictorian at Pearl High School. Kentucky had tried to recruit Wallace, so at some Big Ten schools. But Wallace decided to cast his lot with Vanderbilt. Just a few miles from home, Chancellor Alexander Hurd. Chancellor Hurd. Chancellor Alexander Hurd was brought in to change things. His vision was, let's make Vanderbilt a national university. He called coach Roy Skinner into his office and said, we've integrated the university, you can recruit a black player, and in fact, I would like you to. And Skinner was a decent enough man that he didn't resist that. Perry Wallace would be the first African-American basketball player to commit to a Southeastern Conference school. He was a man of immense dignity without being a stuffed shirt. He was fun to be around. And I think he understood his place in history. Perry was a student of the Civil Rights Movement even as a young man. Perry, when he was 12 years old, it was 1960, and he went downtown to Fifth Avenue to watch the lunch counter sit-ins with his own eyes. He wanted to see history being made. Joining him, would be Godfrey Dillard, a talented guard from Detroit. The two embarked on their historic journey in the fall of 1966. I was kind of the northern guy coming into the south, not really being aware of the values and the, and the approaches in the south. And of course, I came across as, you know, not being respectful. I'll never forget that first week I was walking across the campus and I was assaulted by a couple of white guys. You know, what are you doing here? Each was fighting his own particular battle because they were very, very different personalities. You know, Godfrey had that swagger and Perry was a little better than naive. Perry shows up as a freshman on campus and there is a church right on campus. It took some deacon to tap him on the shoulder and ask him not to show up anymore. And I think that's where he realized, oh, I might be Nashville's favorite son, but I am not welcome here. When I got there, I was shocked to find there was only seven or eight black students on the whole campus. Keep in mind, there was no black professors, there were no black administrators. We were all lonely. A sour taste of the Deep South came soon after, when Ole Miss dropped its freshman game against Vanderbilt. The Commodores would then soon go to Mississippi, but to Starkville to play Mississippi State. We're on this little prop plane, you know, maybe maybe plane held about 40, 50 people. I never forget it. We landed on a dirt runway. And the students were already out there demonstrating. They start beating on the side of the bus. When we got ready to play the game, we go into the locker room, it was filthy. They said the locker room was covered with excrement. He and I are sitting on the bench, said a prayer. So let's, let's go kick some ass. Then we came out on the floor and the whole place was surrounded by state troopers. 
then of course the crowd is going crazy. The cowbells are going. And at some point, the referee had to, to push him back to allow me to take the ball out of bounds. As far as I was concerned, I was in a war and I wasn't stepping back. Calling me names and I waved at him before I shot the free throw. They went crazy. That's when Perry goes to Godfrey. Cut it, man. Be careful. Unfortunately, the biggest setback for that we didn't win the game. When we got back on the bus, it got nobody said nothing. Coaches didn't say nothing to us. None of the players said nothing to us. Nobody. They acted as if nothing happened. Now, that was part of Perry's fear over there. Will my white uh, teammates stand up by me? Coach Roy Skinner, a good man. He saw it, but I don't think he knew what to do. In preseason practice in the fall of 1967, Godfrey Dillard's knee gave way and he was lost for the season. That left Perry Wallace, who'd been considering transferring, alone as a pioneer. The highlight of his athletic experience at Vanderbilt was during his sophomore year where Vanderbilt beat North Carolina, Davidson, and Duke, who were all ranked in the top 20 within the span of a week. The dunk had been outlawed in college basketball, largely in reaction to UCLA's Lou Alcinda. It was also a major weapon of Perry Wallace, what he called his freedom song. Adolph Rupp was really sort of in charge of the college basketball rules committee process at that time, and he had Perry Wallace coming into his league. The dunk is outlawed. Perry felt like it was an unjust rule that was directed at black players. Perry was an incredible jumper, and of course, it limited his game. He was always a great rebounder. He lost the dunk, and he'd have to keep fighting for his dignity. Wallace was showered with racial epithets at away games, spit on, and hit with sodas, ice cubes, and coins. In Knoxville, a noose was spotted near the bench by his teammates. Perry Wallace was literally putting his life on the line by stepping onto a basketball court, a place that he was told he didn't belong. Once ranked as high as number three in the nation in the 1967-68 season, Vanderbilt finished 20-6 and six and third in the SEC. Sophomore year is over. We're getting ready to go to the ju junior year. Perry is ready for me. We're going to play together now. Finally, we're going we're gonna to play together. I was back. On the second day of practice, he cuts me from the team. What I wrote was that he wasn't good enough. He couldn't come back from the injury. His game was quickness, and then he wasn't quick. He thought there was something else to it. He had cut me because of my political activities on the campus. Now, he had told me to stop, and I told him I couldn't. I was bitter. As I said, they took away my youth. Hey, Vanderbilt whitewashed me out of history. Wallace ultimately finished his long journey at Vanderbilt in 1970. As it turned out, Adolph Rupp had been right about his fears. Stand by for live transmission. Go. Tokyo. Go. Go. 103.7 The Buzz. Number one for a reason. It's Mississippi State, which is a team that means something to him because of the experience he had had in Starkville. Late in this game, he decided he was going to dunk the ball. He said, screw it, I'm dunking. He dunked on the last basket of his career in his last game, and the referees let it go. The plan was that after his last game, he would give an interview to the Tennessean, the local newspaper, where he would tell the truth about how difficult his experience had been. And the story ran on the front page the next day. Perry talks about being kicked out of a church, professors using the N-word, about the treatment he received on the road. The reaction was people calling to cancel their subscription to the newspaper, calling the Vanderbilt ticket office to cancel their season tickets. They called Perry ungrateful. There were decades following that article of, of a, sort of a, a cold distance between the university and Perry Wallace. Time went by. Change came slowly. As people 
that Vanderbilt changed as C.M. Newton, who had played such an important role in desegregating Alabama basketball, came to Vanderbilt as the head coach. He was the first person to invite Perry back to tell his story. And touched off a period where Perry ended up making these school visits, and it became almost the, the purpose to his later years. He used the words, it was time to heal. And I think he understood that they were reaching out in good faith. You know, that the university had changed profoundly. I made amends with the administration that exists today. And, and I guess I'm just glad that I, I'm finally being remembered. About 10 days before Perry passed away, he asked for his memorial service to take place on the Vanderbilt campus. It says so much about how meaningful and important that reconciliation process was. He and I used to talk, man, can you believe it? You know, all these black players down at the SEC, all black coaches, black administrators, can you believe it? We were so happy to see some of the fruits of our sacrifices. Waiting till Friday to get music teacher who plays gigs and I need to get paid for the weekend to run equipment or else I have to cancel. With Chom, I get paid two days early with no fees. Now I can make every weekend gig. Join me at Chom.com. It's lunchtime, well, and Gary is double booked. Good thing Gary's company uses Otter's AI media for social taking and generating summaries, so Gary doesn't miss a meeting and can regain his lunch break. Try now for free. Visit otter.ai or download the app. Avalara, we can calculate sales tax automatically. Avalara. What if tax rates change? Uh, Filing sales tax returns. Uh, Business license guidance. Uh, Cross-border uh, sales. Item classification. Uh, Does it connect with uh, uh, A cold day in the capital. Wembley Stadium hosts the EFL Cup Final. For the love of rising stars. Chelsea are in with Cole Palmer. And last dances. It's a real chance for Luis Diaz. And it's in. For the love of English royalty. And their quest for silverware. The Carabao Cup Final. Sunday exclusively on ESPN+. Here's your parachute. Packed it myself. Certain it's okay? Mm-hmm. Are you foreign prince certain? Certainty matters. Like the certainty of congratulating coworkers or saying thank you for being a customer with promotional products from 4imprint. Our expert team is dedicated to making your satisfaction a certainty. Packing myself. Land the perfect products at 4imprint.com. 4imprint for certain. What you see here is an irresistibly special gift that just moments before was filled with the world's most delicious snacks from Nuts.com. Nuts, dried fruits, sweets, and other treats. All her favorites in one special tray of tasty temptation. Freshly roasted to perfection or freshly baked, dipped, seasoned, or popped to satisfy every craving. Create your own combination of snacking delight or choose from Nuts.com's gift baskets and tins with every flavor of happy. Get 20% off plus free shipping on your first order. into a circus. You know, he just, it was kind of his game. There aren't a lot of myths left in sports these days. But the myth of Pistol Pete Maravich endures. Consider a night in Georgia in 1969 when they ran out of film in Athens as the game went to double overtime. I wasn't the starter. When I went in, it was to guard him. Pete goes rolling right over me, right over me, clearly an offensive foul. The referee comes running out, foul on 20, which was me. I, I could not believe it, you know. As he walked by me, I said to him, that was an offensive foul. And he turned around and went, hey, they ain't here to see you. 
<laughs> the whole Georgia team's chasing him. He had this look in his eye and knew what he was going to do. Looked at the clock and dribbled over by the bench and threw up a big old floating hook shot. He made a hook shot from, uh, from almost half court. And hit nothing but the bottom of the net. The place went crazy. And then I saw him get carried off by Georgia fans. And I'd heard that the Georgia coach burned the film. Someone else said, no, they didn't burn it, but uh, I've never seen it. No TV station had it. They ran out of film. In a game that had kind of gotten stagnant, he was just ahead of his time. He was cutting edge. And it was a show. I would hitchhike from Hattiesburg to Baton Rouge just to watch him play. Pete was the best ball handler, the best passer I've ever seen. Take Magic Johnson, take John Stockton. He's the best. He was created in a veritable basketball science lab, or so it seemed. Guided by his zealous father, Press, who nurtured Pete Maravich's passion for the game from just about the time he could dribble a ball. Well, my dad and I have always been really close. I give all my success and all, put everything, I'd give it right to him because without him, I, I wouldn't be what I was today. My dad was sports formation director at LSU. And uh, when Maravich came there, when Pete came there, and he comes home one day, he goes, we got, we got a new basketball coach, Press Maravich. He's got this, this son named Pete. I mean, some, like some skinny kid. I can't believe it, like, this guy is any good at basketball. Uh, my dad was never a great judge of talent. Press Maravich accepted the LSU head coaching job in 1966. He brought his son along with him. And almost immediately came an hysteria the likes of which the college game had never seen. The same went for Pete Maravich's endless bag of tricks. First she thought, oh, he's just kind of a hot dog. And she started playing against him. He found out pretty quick what he could do with the ball. Even as a freshman, when he wasn't allowed to play varsity, he was a show in and unto himself. I think he scored like 60 his first game. All of a sudden, the, the cow palace starts filling up. People took off work early so they could get out there, so they could get a seat. Kids cut class. LSU fans kind of got used to the fact like he'd score 50. He'd, he'd score like 38 in a game. They go, oh, Pete well, didn't have a good game tonight, did he? When he joined the varsity, word quickly traveled from Louisiana all around the South and beyond. He averaged just under 44 points a game his sophomore year. Pistol Pete was his extra gift to college basketball because if you also factor into how the dunk has been legislated out of the game around the same time, okay, you can't dunk, but what can you do below the rim? Yeah, he could do everything. Well, I've been doing this for 50-something years, and he's the most entertaining athlete I ever saw. He was better than anybody else. But he had his dad as his coach, and his dad allowed him to do things perhaps other coaches wouldn't, but he was basically the team. averaged 44.2 points a game during his three years at LSU without a shot clock or three-point line, setting the all-time NCAA career scoring record for points. My senior year, I was the second leading scorer in the nation. I only lost the scoring championship by 10 points. A game. <laughs> 10 points a game. That's how good Pete was. But Pistol Pete's teams could never beat Dan Issel in Kentucky. A lot of coaches tried to devise ways to stop Pete. None of it worked. Coach Rupp's philosophy was completely the opposite. His theory playing Maravich was, look, 
He's going to get his. We'll just worry about the other four guys. Rupp's strategy was put to the test when his second-ranked Kentucky team took on LSU in Baton Rouge. It was the most-watched college basketball game ever to that point. In a showdown of college basketball's top two scores, Maravich finished with 64. Issel had 51. And Kentucky defeated LSU. A microcosm of a career in which Pete Maravich never played for a winner. He knew he was going to get his shots and his points. But they lost all six games against us. Back then, the only team that went to the NCAA tournament was the team that won the conference. And so that was us three years in a row. So Pete never played in an NCAA tournament game. When your whole self-worth is as a basketball player, this is what you do. And there's that pressure every night to be that good. It wasn't easy being Pete Maravich. Years after he retired from the pros, giving up drinking and becoming a boy. This is Larry Culpepper, the inventor of the college football playoff. When I'm in Arkansas, I always listen to 1037 The Buzz. Ice cold, Dr. Pepper, help! From a heart attack while playing a game of pickup. But the legend outlived the man. The thing that he loved, that he had almost perfected more than anything else was the very last thing he was doing. I remember talking to Isaiah Thomas one time. He said his main influence was Pete Maravich. I said, why Maravich? He goes, we'd see films of him. I just, I just loved the way he played on the playground. I'd come down court and I'd shoot and I'd turn. I'd yell, Maravich, because Maravich is a bitch. Rich Kelly played with Pete for the New Orleans Jazz. Described him as a stepchild of the American imagination. We all remember him in the LSU uniform with those gray socks, and you, know, you could project onto him anything that you wanted. How you, in your humble, scraggly, greasy hair, floppy socks, if you just spent enough time out in the driveway or in the playground or in the gym, you know, maybe you could somehow dazzle the crowd too. By the time the 1960s came to a close, the battle for civil rights and SEC basketball had taken a dramatic turn. Adolph Rupp signed his first African-American player, Tom Payne, in 1969. By 1972, every SEC program was integrated. Hundreds of miles north, meanwhile, less than two months after Pete Maravich played his final game for LSU, Another icon who would transform SEC basketball by the name of Don Staley was born in Philadelphia. I'm all Philly. I feel like Philly has prepared.